0: It is my belief that to say difficult things well means to speak from the heart, and you cannot script what the heart will say. And yet when you speak from the heart about difficult things, it will not do just to wallow in the difficulties, but it must be tempered by a concrete hope that is what I tried to do in this sermon. It was preached at St. Mary's Dis on the 27th of June, 2021. The readings were 2 Corinthians 8, 7 to the end, and Mark 5, 21 to the end. You are listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Path with your preacher Samuel S. Thorpe. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ah, It's a wonderful Gospel reading. Yet over the last few weeks, I've consistently found myself drawn again and again to preach from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. In these sermons, I've reflected on the importance of understanding our current difficulties and afflictions within the light of Christ's death and passion for us. When I was here with you on the 13th, I talked about how my pilgrimage walk reminded me afresh of the physicality of our faith. But God is no stranger to our pains. He doesn't offer us freedom from the difficulties of life, but within them. Last week, Paul continued this theme of faith mingled with suffering by reminding us to rejoice that today, today, wherever we are in our lives, today is the day of salvation. He makes a passionate plea to the Corinthians and to us as well that they hear his words in the light in which they are meant, filled with love. More than this, he urges them to open wide their hearts and to work with him in the ministry of the Gospel. As we have heard this morning, he says, Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking, Of the ministry of the gospel. And it's an interesting idea for us to reflect on, particularly for me, as this weekend and this Sunday marks two years since I was ordained priest. Crazy, isn't it? Where did the time go? Seems just like yesterday. I can see some of you nodding. But it's interesting, because as I come towards the end of my time here with you, as a curate, there's been lots of things that I have to write to put in a portfolio to reflect on my experience of ministry. To reflect on what it means to be an ordained priest, or before then, a deacon, serving within a community of faith, preaching the gospel, ministering to the lost and the sick, preparing people to die and obviously celebrating the sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist with the community of Christ. But Paul's words here remind us that it's not all about me, and it's not all about Tony, and it's not all about John. But it's about all of us, for all of the community to take part in excellently pursuing the ministry of the gospel with hearts filled with love and generosity. As I mentioned at the beginning of our service, you have all shown immense generosity in your support of the pilgrimage walk, where we've done so well to raise funds that will benefit the whole team. But it's about more than just one-off events, and it's about more than just money. It was interesting because before I went on my pilgrimage, I had a conversation with a friend of mine that's part of one of the groups I'm in online. And he said to me, "Okay, so Sam, tell me, what are you going to hold in your mind when you get to sort of the 20th mile on your walk and it's hot and you're getting tired and you want to perhaps give in? What's going to motivate you to continue walking until you get to the cathedral? My response to him was that everything we do, particularly when it's an act of pilgrimage or an act of worship in church, stems not from my own ability to do it, but from being a response to what God has already done for us in Christ. And I had the opportunity to explain to him that our faith is not grounded on becoming good people. Our faith is not grounded on doing better than we were before. But it's on worshipping our Lord and Saviour, who for our sake, Not for his sake, he was perfectly content in and of himself, but for our sakes, out of his love for us, came as Jesus Christ to live amongst us, as one of us, to teach us, to guide us, to show signs as to who he was, signs such as raising the girl, and ultimately to die for our sins upon the cross. And on that cross, in that moment, everything changed for all of us. But whatever stage in our lives that became a reality for us, it happened for us on the cross. We were set free from those sins which have troubled us over the years. We were set free from the shame which had been imposed upon us by the actions of others. But the way we know that this is true is through the resurrection of Jesus. The sign that what happened on the cross was done by God and stands as a living promise for all eternity that God loves you and I and always will. So when it comes to being able to walk further than 20 miles or continuing on the pilgrimage, when it comes to getting the energy to get up and go to church or to go to that thing that you are doing as a response to God, we are able to do so by the help of God's Holy Spirit because we are responding to him. He has provided for us immeasurably and he equips us immeasurably. And so I was able to say that to him, but then I was able to remember it as I walked. And as I've reflected on my walk since, it seems that this truly is the heartbeat of our faith. It's never about what we do first, but what we do as a response to God moving in our lives first. And sometimes we can expect too little of God. We can say, well, he's not bothered by my little concerns. are so very small in the light of the global pandemic. Very small in the light of all those poor children out there who are starving in other places. And those are indeed real problems. But we can take those problems and we can disguise our own problems and say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. But the whole gospel that we hear Paul preaching in his letter to the Corinthians is that in every moment of our suffering, God desires to meet us there and to be with us. Whatever that might look like for you and for me. And Stephen Cotterell, the new Archbishop of York, He said that one of the greatest weaknesses of the Church of England is that we expect too little of God and we expect too little of ourselves. We should expect more because out of the abundance of God's grace, miracles can and do happen. But we should expect, actually we should expect people to come to church. We should expect people to want to learn more, to study the scriptures, to grow in prayer, to give generously of their time, their talent, and their money. We should expect that when we do so, that God will meet us and that God will be with us. Not that he will make us millionaires overnight by some magical power. Not that he will remove every difficulty from our lives. But that he will help us. and He will give us meaning and that he will grow our community so that we in this building may love and serve all of those outside of this building. That's one of the key distinctive things about the Church of England, that we are a parish-based church. We're not here just for our own amusement as a little dinner club that likes to meet on a Sunday morning and it's nice to spend time with one another. But actually, we provide the ministry to all those who live in a defined geographical area. For us, that's a defined geographical area which has been expanding more and more. I don't just mean with the new housing estates and things being built on the edge of this. I'm referring to being the whole disc team ministry. Where first we were just this one church, and then we were six, and now we're 11. In the future, who knows? But in that space, we have those who come to church, those who support the work of the church. And they are important, and we love all of you dearly. That's why we do what we do. But you enable us to serve those who live around those churches, which is thousands of people, about twelve or 14,000 people. And in serving those people, we here in the team Ministry average about 80 funerals a year. A small handful of those are members of our own congregation. But the vast majority, this is their first or only significant contact with the church that they've had in quite some time. Just this week, I had a man who had been an avid biker and hobbyist, whose funeral it was. And there was people gathered outside in the streets. And on the way from the church to the cemetery, if you were around on Wednesday afternoon, you might have heard the cacophony of motorbikes and scooters making their way in procession along to him at his grave. And I had to stand here and do that funeral and to connect with people who never normally connect with the church, who say, oh, we don't want anything too religious. But then at the end afterwards, come to me and say, thank you for that. I didn't realize it would bring so much meaning. You've given me a lot to sit with and think about. That's just one small example. And again, this isn't me. This is Tony, this is John, this is all of those who are involved in this ministry. We also have a number of weddings and a number of baptisms. We get involved in people's lives outside of this church. and Sometimes there's a tendency to think that when we give our offerings and we pay our parish share, that in a sense we're paying for the Sunday morning service. But That couldn't be further from the truth. The Sunday is the highlight of our week. It is our joy. But it is one day out of seven. People don't just live on Sundays. They live from Monday through Saturday. And we try and meet with them where they are to draw them into our community with you. And this is a difficult time in the life of the church. You don't need me to tell you how hit the finances have been, not just in this diocese, but across the country. And it's been put into sharp relief recently within our own team, with South Lotham no longer having anyone able to open and close on a regular basis. Marion was a wonderful church warden, but has moved to be with family elsewhere and sadly there's not really anyone to fill her shoes. We had a meeting with the community in South Lopham a couple of weeks ago. We were thrilled. We had twenty or so people come out to find out what's happening with the church. How can they support it? They agreed that we needed a committee of people to come together to clean the church, to open it, to be available for weddings and funerals. And then came that moment where we asked them to put their hands up to volunteer or to write their name on a sheet. And the answer was that everyone wanted someone else to do it. Now some people are going to help in South Lockham with handing out leaflets to let people know that we need support and so on. But it's a difficult situation. We have been joined as the larger dis-team ministry since about November, practically with Tony being priest in charge and with us offering services and working together. But it's only at the moment that the legal process is happening. You might remember a few weeks ago, John announced that there was a notice and that um, basically there's an opportunity for people to object. Hopefully no one will. But the person from the central commissioners, who is in charge of making sure that all of the wardens have displayed the notices and done what they need to do, has been calling round to check that they've done it. One of our churches hadn't had the time to be able to put the notice up and said so. You know, sorry, I've been busy. And they said, well, isn't there someone else that could put it up for you? It's important, we need it to be put up. They said, well, no, there's only sort of two or three of us and we haven't had time. And this person's response was, well, if there's only two or three of you, you should close. This church warden was shocked and upset, quite rightly so. But you have to think from the other side that this person probably had a list of about 50 other parishes in similar situations. For them, it's not about our communities, not necessarily. But for us, it's about the people that we live with, that we live amongst, that we know and love, and that we desire to support when we hear the news of their grandkids, when we hear about the health difficulties that are happening, when they ask us to pray for them. I want it to be very clear that neither myself, nor John, nor Tony, nor anyone on the ministry team here in the District Ministry have any desire to close any of our churches. That is not something we're pushing for, that is not something we want. What we want is for people to know the love of God and to be empowered to worship in those buildings and to support themselves. But we live in difficult times. And it's a reality which we have to accept might become even more of a problem even for us here in Dis. The good old Dis town church, which has always had more money and more people than the villages. But we shouldn't be complacent. On that difficult note, I want to add two more difficult things into consideration. I'm coming to the end of my curacy. Any point between sort of September of this year and September of next year, I could be leaving to go on to another group of churches. When we come towards the end of September, October, November of next year, Tony, after nearly 20 years of good, faithful service in this place, will be coming up to retirement. And that will leave just poor John running around 11 churches trying to do everything that we want on his own. And mine and Tony's primary priority at this point is supporting John and supporting you to be able to support John. Because we need to be able to support ourselves as a community in order to get a replacement for Tony. But it will be difficult. It will take all of us, striving to be generous and excellent in every area of our lives as a church community. And I know that this seems very stark and unpleasant. But I'm sure it felt very stark and unpleasant for Jairus as he came to Jesus and said, Teacher, my daughter is dying. And then he's trying to get Jesus to come with him. And this other lady is pestering him and taking up his time. and Come on, my daughter is dying. How do I... What, what's going to happen? And then friends from his house come and say, Don't bother the teacher. Your daughter has died. We're at that point now. Are we going to say, Well, don't bother with all of this. It's already died. It's already dying. It, we will be gone soon, so it doesn't matter. It could be tempting to fit into that perspective. But Jesus hears this and says to Jairus, No, be patient. I am coming. We heard Ellie read that Jesus goes and there are people mourning and there are people weeping and they are wailing. And he takes them all outside. He calms the situation down. He takes James and John and Peter. and He takes the parents and he goes into the room with the little girl. He says, Talitha Kum, girl, get up. And she does. In this moment of certain death, actual death, Jesus comes in and flips the script and brings in hope and life and unexpected joy. We see this again with the cross and the resurrection. At that moment where things seem darkest, at that moment where hope is lost, that is where God meets us. And so if you feel discouraged by what I've said today, in a sense I say, good. Because it is in that place of discouragement that God can meet us and give meaning to our lives and our community. And by traveling through that, by wrestling through it together as a community, in prayer, in faithfulness, in time and in giving, hopefully we will taste that promise of a resurrection that hope of joy, the everlasting life. And not just us who are here this morning, but people who are not yet in our pews, not yet in our building, who live around us. Wouldn't it be great if the faith which means so much to us meant as much to them as well? And so I invite you in a short while to come forward to receive the Eucharist, though I will come to you to receive the bread which is the body of Christ, to taste the physicality of it, to remember that the gospel is very real, and that in the midst of our uncertainties, we have a hope which is founded on God, who moves first, who acts first, who loved us since before the world began, and that in the light of that love, We can be empowered to do everything in his name. Amen.